0: At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. There's an unhappy anniversary coming up, the 100th anniversary of the Palmer Raids. That was the roundup and arrest of 10,000 people, followed by mass deportations of immigrants, people the government deemed undesirable in 1919. It's the sort of thing Trump would love to do if he could. For that history, we turn to Adam Hochschild. He's an award-winning writer on social justice, his many books include Bury the Chains, about the first movement to mobilize people against slavery. It succeeded at abolishing the slave trade in England in 1807. And I also love his book, To End All Wars. It's about the anti-war movements of the World War One era. Adam teaches journalism at Berkeley, and he's also a contributor to The New Yorker. Adam Hochschild, welcome back.
0: Good to be with you again, John.
1: Well, return with us now to Ellis Island in New York Harbor in December 1919. What happened there?
0: It was kind of an amazing scene because this country, uh, exactly 100 years ago, was in the grip of a mania for deportation, a frenzy about deporting people. Uh, In this case, it was also ethnic in that the people who were being deported were mainly Italians and Jews, but it was also political. Uh, this was 1919 was two years after the Bolsheviks had taken over in Russia. There was a tremendous red scare going on in the United States and the powers that be felt that, uh, uh, not only was uh, communism extremely dangerous and there was a risk that the you know the russian revolution could spread to the united states but the people who seemed most in the thick of it and most propagating these doctrines were likely to be jewish similarly they were very worried about anarchism because anarchists had in fact planted some bombs uh, blown up part of the House of the Attorney General of the United States in, in the middle of 1919, uh, and the anarchists were largely Italians. So the deportation frenzy you know, that today is focused mainly on people from Latin America at that time was focused largely against uh, Italians and Jews, uh, and especially those who the government considered communists or anarchists. There was this remarkable scene at Ellis Island that happened just before Christmas 1919 uh there were roughly 250 prisoners on the island this place that had been you know the gateway of hope for millions of in- immigrants coming to the United States you know your ancestors and mine and millions of other people's ancestors was now an immigration prison where people were being held before they were to be deported and the chief orchestrator of this uh, deportation was a 24-year-old guy who was a relatively junior position at the Justice Department, named J. Edgar Hoover, who uh-huh. later would go on to position of enormous power as head of the FBI, and. Uh, He had been pushing for this along with many other people in the Justice Department and the administration. Uh, They had these roughly 250 prisoners on the island. And this this was the first batch of what they hoped would be thousands and thousands of radical immigrants who would be deported.
1: These mass expulsions of 1919... Uh, you say, had been preceded by an anti-immigrant campaign. How similar was that to what we have seen in the last couple of years?
0: I think there there are quite a few similarities. Uh, Basically, you know, if we roll the clock back 100 years, look at the United States then. Here was a country which uh, Mm -hmm. previously, since the beginning, since colonial days, had basically been run by an Anglo-Saxon elite and then starting around 1890 or so uh... there started to be a large wave of immigrants coming to the u.s from eastern europe from the russian empire and from italy especially southern italy and the anglo-saxons who'd run the country up until that time you know uh... from george washington to theodore roosevelt to woodrow wilson uh, were people who were very upset by this. There were a lot of ideas about eugenics in the air that they seized on, uh, feeling that the country's stock, which was a word that uh, they used to, to like to use a lot, was being corrupted and debased by all these Jews and Italians who were pouring in. And of course, you know, the immigrants who were coming in were usually quite poor and coming here because they hoped they could make a better life for themselves. Uh, And I think there are some similarities to that today where, you know, those in power get uh, menaced by the fact that people who look slightly different from white Americans are coming here in large numbers from Latin America. And, you know, Trump comes right out and says it, you know, well, if the immigrants were coming from Norway, that wouldn't be a problem. Well, these were the same kinds of ideas that were uh, were in the air back then. And then it was connected to the fact that uh, so many of the radicals who were active in the u s at that time socialists, communists anarchists were in fact uh foreign em- immigrants. There were plenty of native grown radicals as well but but uh, many of the most active were foreign born and if they were foreign born and had never gotten fully naturalized as American citizens that gave the government the opportunity to deport them.
1: The one big difference between that campaign and what Trump has been doing, I learned from your article in The New Yorker, is that uh, in 1919, the proposals being made were not just to send back immigrants who were deemed undesirable. There was other people who were citizens who were considered undesirable by some people in the country and some people in the government the radicals the leftists the anarchists that you've mentioned tell us about the argument about deporting them
0: well you know people were in such a frenzy about the radicals and in such fear that the russian revolution might spread to the united states that they came up with ideas such as where could you deport people well you could deport them to guam you know if somebody was a native native born american uh, you know, there wasn't some place in Europe that you could send him or her back to. But we had taken Guam from Spain in the Spanish-American War, and that seemed a very distant place, safely distant. And there was a senator actually who talked about uh, uh, sending people to sending people to Guam. Um, but and there was also there were also calls, as there have been today, for doing away with birthright citizenship, which has been something that we've long had in this country, where somebody who's born here automatically becomes an American citizen. But this issue was raised in racial terms, you know, that maybe that should just be, be restricted to white Americans. They would have that right, but Asians, who they were also very worried about, would not. So these were some of the ideas that were floating around in the air And that one dramatic expression of them was what happened at Ellis Island on that day.
1: Paint the scene for us at Ellis Island in December 1919.
0: Okay. So here we are uh, a couple of days before Christmas in the year uh, 1919, and Ellis Island has been turned into an immigration prison. The 249 people there... Uh, among whom the most notable are the anarchist and feminist firebrand Emma Goldman and her longtime collaborator and sometime lover, Alexander Berkman. Uh, Emma Goldman had uh, actually been naturalized as an American citizen by virtue of marrying somebody at one point many years earlier who was an American, but then he lost his citizenship because he'd falsified something on his application. So therefore, her citizenship was uh, legally declared uh, non-existent as well. So that gave the government the opportunity to to deport this wonderfully colorful troublemaker who'd been in this country for 34 years, most of her life, (laughs) found her political voice here, found a huge audience here, an audience that carried to other countries as well. But here she was on Ellis Island in the middle of the night with 248 other people. And this deportation, this mass deportation, was considered so important by the government that J. Edgar Hoover led a delegation, including the head of the Bureau of Investigation, a predecessor of the FBI, and several members of Congress, to Ellis Island in the middle of the night so that they could see these prisoners being loaded onto a barge pushed by a tugboat that was going to take them from Ellis Island to uh, Brooklyn, where the ship on which they were to be deported was docked. And in the end uh, Congress Hoover and the Congressman Road came along for that ride, that short ride. Um, would that Hoover had been deported as well. The (laughs) history of our country might have been different, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, And happily, one of the congressmen uh, kept a quite detailed record of what happened, and at about 4 o'clock in the morning, Hoover and Emma Goldman encountered each other inside the, uh, the galley or kitchen of the tugboat and had a conversation uh, in which uh, I think Emma Goldman <laughs> got in a good jab at Hoover. It went like this, and I'm reading from this the record that the, the, the congressman made of it. Uh, he said to her, haven't I given you a square deal, Miss Goldman? And she said back to him, oh, I suppose you've given me as square a deal as you could. Uh, we shouldn't expect from any person something beyond his capacity. So here's this strange conversation happening between one of the most uh, colorful and influential American radicals ever and the man who would go on to become the uh, 20th century's most uh, uh, extreme red hunter in the United States, happening in the kitchen of a tugboat uh, in the middle of the night, steaming across (laughs) New York Harbor. Very strange.
1: So there were... 10,000 people were arrested in the Palmer raids. More than 6,000 deportation cases were uh, prepared by J. Edgar Hoover's forces. But only a few hundred people were ever deported. Why was the number so low? What happened? Well,
0: there was a remarkable and uh, sadly very unknown uh, hero involved. Here's what happened the the Palmer raids as they're known happened in uh several waves the two biggest of which were on November 7th 1919 this pointedly the the second anniversary of the the Bolshevik seizure of power in Russia and then again uh in early January of 1920 and these raids n- nutted, netted an estimated total of 10,000 people the government was deliberately targeting radicals whom they believed not to be U.S. citizens and who could therefore be deported. And so they prepared deportation warrants and cases uh, against the the great majority of these folks. But there was a curious legal wrinkle, which was that, although it was the Justice Department that had the power to mobilize its squads of agents to go out and arrest large numbers of people and often uh, rough them up quite badly in the process, uh, Immigr uh, deportations fell under the authority of the Immigration Bureau, which was part of the Department of Labor. At this time, uh, and we're now talking early 1920, the Secretary of Labor was on sick leave. Uh, the second in command of the Labor Department who would normally take over in his absence, resigned suddenly to uh, run for Congress. And that meant the third-ranking person in the Labor Department, the Assistant Secretary of Labor, was now Acting Secretary of Labor with the authority over deportations. And this was a guy then 70 years old named Louis F. Post, and he was a very good guy, a longtime progressive journalist uh, who was one of many sort of progressive idealists who had joined the Wilson administration when Woodrow Wilson had first been elected uh, president in 1912. And Post was outraged at the prospect of these uh, mass deportations. He was somebody who was a staunch anti-racist uh, from his early days. He'd actually uh, worked as a, uh, a court reporter by, uh, right after the Civil War during reconstruction in South Carolina and had been appalled at the racism he'd seen there and at the way uh, President Ulysses F. Grant had pardoned Ku Klux Klan members who'd been convicted of uh, murdering black people and Palmer had known many of the prominent American radicals and progressives. Emma Goldman had once had dinner in his home and he did everything he could to stop these deportations and he'd also, before becoming a journalist, he'd worked as a lawyer. So he knew the ins and outs of the law. And he invalidated arrest warrants. He reduced or eliminated bail. Uh, and he basically stopped J. Edgar Hoover and his boss, the attorney general, um, uh, A. Mitchell Palmer, from deporting all but about 5 or 10% of the people that they'd hoped to deport. They were furious at him. And Post became one of the first, although by no means the last, uh, victim of an attempted smear campaign by J. Edgar Hoover. But Hoover failed. Hoover tried to get him impeached by Congress. That didn't work. He mobilized the American Legion to try to get Post fired. Uh, That didn't work. And uh, Post remained in office uh, uh, until the end of the Wilson administration.
1: So let's connect... This history with our current situation, it sounds like, once again, there's some similarities here. This man, Louis F. Post, is someone who Trump would call part of the deep state. Is that right?
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And just as today, we've had some deep state people like those State Department diplomats uh, speaking up quite boldly in the impeachment hearings. Uh, at the time, uh, Lewis F. Post was somebody who was, you know, an, a previously unnoticed government bureaucrat, but who took the law very seriously and didn't want to see it abused and didn't want to see these mass deportations happening uh, for no other reason than a combination of political and racial prejudice. And I think Lewis F. Post can be an example to people today. Uh, when it comes uh, time to testify before the impeachment inquiry and wherever that leads, people in government like him should speak out and speak out loudly.
1: Adam Hochschild wrote a terrific piece about the world of the Palmer Raids in the New Yorker. Thank you, Adam. Great to have you on the show.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, John.